Hey guys, what's up? Week 175. I got a bunch of reviews for you. I kind of went down like a, a faulty rabbit hole and that's never a bad thing. But first I want to let you guys know that very shortly after you see this, um, the 22 shots, best of 1991 should be up and the Horophilia page and on Mood's YouTube channel and everything. So if you're interested in that, um, it should be up uh, fairly soon. I'm not sure when. We had uh, six people on the show, Moods, uh, JP, Jeremy, myself, Derek, and Carly. Um, same people from the 85 show show it was uh, it was pretty fun um 91 is a ridiculous year I'll, I'll eventually do we're gonna do a top 25 video form later on um down the line but i'll probably put that on my channel as well so i'm not sure when i'm gonna do that i want them to be able to put it up on theirs first so um let's hop into these reviews like i said i went down that faulty rabbit hole and it all kind of started with this one this is a uh, Faulty for Fake. This is released by Severn Films. This is a this is a strange one. It's like a pseudo documentary. Basically, it is. I'm this is the only way I can kind of explain it. Somebody's going to play Faulty in um, a documentary, like a um, a film about Faulty. So um, the whole plot of the movie is basically he goes around and he tries to. Um, tries to learn who Fulci was as a human being. And he goes and interviews a lot of his colleagues, a lot of his friends, and um, his daughters. And I don't think I've ever seen Fulci's daughters interviewed, and especially if I had, it wasn't at this, you know, this in-depth. Um, there's also a couple experts on here. One one expert on here, he's introduced as somebody who doesn't uh, bite his tongue, and he's very blunt and very straightforward, and it's appreciated. You know what I mean? Like, just going straightforward and everything like that. But um, this documentary, like I said, is strange because it opens up with these quotes as the guy dressed as Fulci and saying that he didn't know how to play Fulci and he was a little confused by it. Um, so we basically learn a lot about Fulci through his discovery of trying to play him. Um, so yeah, uh, like I said, he had directly interviews the people and you guys ever watch those featurettes? Um, I know you guys do on like the, um, genre labels releases where they'll have like George Eastman talk about Joe D'Amato or Mikhail Suave talk about people or somebody like that that's still alive where they bring up somebody who's passed and they're like their main collaborator. It also happened with, uh, Claudio Fragrasso and Bruno Mattei and they'll get these teary eyed, like these, the, you know, they'll get to the end and you know that spot where they're like. Yeah, and they just this this whole documentary is that. It's an hour and a half of like insightful um things about Fulci that you learn about, but also it's so it's so heartbreaking. It's such a I literally caught myself getting teary-eyed like every like 25 minutes. Um cuz I the thing about Lucio Fulci is he was always kind of underappreciated when he was alive, at least for, uh, as far as I knew and saw. So that when he got rediscovered, it was even sadder. You know, not I don't want to say rediscovered because some people never not knew him. But when he started getting the appreciation, he liked. He, I mean, he neat deserved not liked, um, but he was already dead. So it just made it even more kind of sad. And, and the whole, the one line in here that the guy says is just so sad. He says tragic and um, poetic, and it, it certainly is involving Dario Argento. I don't want to give so much away, but just they paint this picture of Fulci as being like such a sloppy kind of, you know, guy outside into the real world, but he was so good at making films. And they talk about how he had these reoccurring themes that directly played into his life, and you see that. Like, there's things that they said that I didn't know. And and seeing his daughter, who had um, some sort of uh, disabilitating disease, um, talk about her father... Um, it was really rough, um, her bringing up these memories of her dad and she worked on the sets and everything like that. Just very depressing. Um, 
but also so intriguing. Uh, I love this thing. This is probably, you know, I, I haven't seen many documentaries this year, but this is one of my favorite movies I saw this year so far. Um, just great stuff. It has a bunch of features on there, including like interviews with the director and along, uh, extended interviews and stuff like that. But um, this, this is really good stuff. Um, they, they cover all his movies and his career and his gothic phase and saying that everybody says this is when you see the real faulty within there. You see him. Uh, and stuff like that. So anyways, love the hell out of it. Really highly recommended. Great stuff. Um, uh, Fault you for fake. Una donna viene uccisa con la città. Il volto diviso a metà. grandi uomini di cinema sono virtuosi della menzogna è una sorta di sfogo estremo della loro creatività e Lucio Fulci era uno di questi Lucio Fulci ha creato prima che lo facessimo noi il mito di se stesso Devo recitare il ruolo di Lucio Fulci nel primo film sulla sua vita. Mi hanno detto, tranquillo, tanto la vita di Fulci è stata tutta una leggenda, un mito, una mezza menzogna, quindi puoi fare quello che vuoi. Puoi essere il Fulci che più ti piace. Per prepararmi al ruolo ho iniziato un viaggio per incontrare chi ha lavorato con lui, chi l'ha studiato, chi l'ha conosciuto a fondo. Io sono un attore che non ha mai voluto interpretare un personaggio realmente esistito. Ma io studierò. Indagherò. Come fanno i bravi attori. Perché io... Alla fine lo scoprirò chi era davvero Lucio Fulci. Il regista mi ha chiesto di parlare con chi ha conosciuto Fulci. Mi manderà a fare delle interviste con una troupe della produzione. Ma io studierò, indagherò come fanno i bravi attori, perché io, alla fine, lo scoprirò chi era davvero Lucio Fulci. Immagine che vedete da me stessa fotografata. È una persona disordinata nella vita, però nel suo lavoro era molto, molto preciso. E allora ci si sentiva col telefono... Buongiorno, mi fanno veramente... 
Okay, we're going to do a couple 4K releases of Fulci, and this is Blue Underground's release, the 4K um, of House uh, by the Cemetery. Now, I, I had covered this one recently. I had covered the 3-disc, so as far as features are concerned, I'm not really going to get into that because I've talked a lot about those before, so I'll probably put the link below if you want to check out my coverage of that because it's the same features. Um, as far as picture um, is concerned, this thing looks fantastic. And you guys know um, Fulci's gothic films, and especially House by the Cemetery, there's lots of fog and thick atmosphere. So, um, you know, like Conquest, the movie Conquest, you can't even see. Sometimes it's such soft focus because the fog. This one looks great. Um, I love that it takes place in a New England, uh, you know, play area. So there's lots of fog and mythology. And this is one of these things, one of these reoccurring themes that I want to bring up about Fulci is premonitions. And this movie has tons of premonitions. This is a very strange film. It's like a lot of this kind of fate and premonition. And it's just creepy as shit, like I said. Um, the plot is... Um, this uh, this historian, I think he's a historian, kills himself after kind of doing some research on this town. Um, his colleague is supposed to take over for him, so his wife and kid and himself go there, and uh, they move into this place um, called the Freudstein House, is what one of the guys says, but they're not supposed to call it that, because obviously, um, at one point he says, yeah, sure, give the bad product a new name, and that's exactly what they do. They move into this house that has a bunch of, you know, secrets and everything, and it turns out that it was the house of this... Um, um, this crazy doctor dressed in this awesome outfit like with this weird insectial face um, who did all these crazy experiments and, and to prolong his life um, and uh, so he's he's still in the cellar but besides that going on it is a ghost story and full of premonitions um, as in like they go into this town and um, everybody seems to recognize the father like you've been here before which makes you seem untrustworthy of everybody in the area it's always like that um, the cast is, is pretty good I mean you got Katrina McCall who is in all three of the Gates of Hell trilogy as they became known even though technically the Beyond and City of the Living Dead are really the only Gates of Hell but this one kind of fits in with it uh, because the phase and when it was made and everything like that so uh, Kat Katrina McCall is in here and the star of New York Ripper um, the doctor is also in here and of course we have Bob and I'm going to say this right now. When I first saw this movie about 20 years ago, yes, I was taken back about his dubbing. But after that, I never really brought it up. I, I mean, people get hung up on Bob too much. It's not that big of a deal to me. Yes, it's slightly annoying, um, but I don't even notice it. Like, I, I just get past it. Like, because probably I like the movie so much that I think the hang-up on Bob is a little bit immature. And, and I know it's, I know it can be distracting for a first or second time watch, but... After you see this movie, it's just like, really? That's what you're hung up about? Like, there's so much other stupid things in movies that are way worse. And, and it's completely out of, you know, control at this point. It, it, it's something that... It's not really a plot point. It's just kind of a dumb dubbing choice. But, um, yes, of course, Bob is overdubbed. But regardless, the kid... I, I like the idea that before they leave, there's this warning in the painting. That he sees this girl in the window who says, Don't come here. Don't come here. But they still go there. And, and it's just... And these all these weird premonitions, even like characters who are probably ghosts or in some sort of weird realm have premonitions of people that are going to come. Almost the ghosts are haunted by the future fatalities. Uh, and there's such a Lovecraftian scene in here that I have to say um, is when uh, the doctor or the historian is uh, studying and he gets obsessed with the same thing that the previous historian uh, got obsessed with who hung himself, which they remind you a couple times in the library. Um, and he, he starts to listen to a tape that he finds of him and it's so much like the story um i can't think of the lovecraft story on um, the tomb i want to call it where they these two kind of guys go into the tomb and one's down in there and they have like a radio and the guy calls him and says don't come down here whatever you do and he gives this big spiel because what he's seeing is so horrifying that he 
he's doomed. And, and him listening to the tape, and it goes over like, and, and kind of like throughout it goes in and zooms in on the basement. You see the scattered body parts and stuff, and the blood coming up from the kind of the in-house tomb. Um, that's just super Lovecraft. And I just anytime there's a pre-recorded radio or somebody telling a story like this, I just immediately go to Lovecraft. And and this one, um, and I know we have Stuart Gordon, but I think Fulci is one of the most Lovecraftian directors there is. There is, and I was a carpenter to a certain extent as well. has his has his moments, but um, yeah, this is just uh, one of my favorite Fulci movies. I think the atmosphere is great. I love the New England atmosphere, um, and it's, the sound and uh, picture is remastered so well. I'm sitting here reading like. Um, like signs on buildings that are like a mile away. I'm like, oh, I can, I see everything. You see everything. And some people are like, oh, that's stupid. It's going to ruin these old movies. But I think the effects hold up in here too, because this is one of Fulci's goriest, of course. Huh? The Dagmar uh, uh, death is, is ridiculous. I actually feel bad for the people who are killed in here. Um, lots of, you know, real blood splattery nastiness. It, it's super gory. And it focuses on, on the gore. Because, you know, um, I know some people would say originally that Herschel Gordon Lewis is the godfather of gore. Um, no, Fulci is the godfather of gore because not only is there gore, there's great atmosphere that goes with it and so much more uh, as well. Just so many more interesting things. So um, Fulci's the godfather of gore. Um, Herschel Gordon Lewis is just the guy who relied on gore. <laughs> I know that's. I know people are gonna jump my shit, and it's just like, come on, Mr. Parker, stop picking on Herschel Gordon Lewis. Every chance I get, I have to say something, right? But um, uh, <laughs> and if it's to prop up Fulci a little bit more, I'll shoot down lots of people. But um, love House by the Cemetery. Um, it looks great too. Uh, just a fantastic movie. The score by Walter Rizzotti, I believe is how you say his name, is also fantastic. Um, now. Does it rival a Fabio Frizzi score? Maybe not, but I still think it's almost just as good. Uh, so I, I love it. So um, House by the Cemetery, one of my favorite Fulci's. Stephen, where are you? Please answer me. Steve! In this house, what you don't know will hurt you. It was to be a getaway dream. It's becoming a runaway nightmare. Do you see anything? Some old steps going down. He has been awaiting the arrival of his new guests. One by one, they are disappearing. One by bloody one. No! 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 When you move to this house, before you get locked in, read the fine print. Mommy, hurry! You may have just mortgage. Your life, due to the graphic nature of this film, no one under 18 will be admitted. House by the cemetery.
Okay, going down that Fulci line, another one on 4K from Blue Underground is The New York Ripper, uh, obviously directed by Lucio Fulci. And um, I, I, again, I've talked about this one on the three discs, so the features that I talked about are all in there, so there'll be a link below for that old review. As far as the picture quality is concerned, um, New York Ripper, it looks fantastic. Um, I don't think it's as um, atmospheric as something like House by the Cemetery, but it has its own atmosphere, and that atmosphere is definitely 80s New York City. Um, and it rivals the movies like Maniac or Basket Case, where you literally feel the sleeves. Um, that, that is pretty much one of the quintessential. Like, if people are like, I want a movie about dirty New York, well, I'm like, you gotta go New York Ripper, Maniac, and Basket Case, because any Frank Hennelotter would that take place in a city, it's just like, it don't get grimier than that. So, so this one is basically about a serial killer who um, is slashing up women, a lot of prostitutes or sexually promiscuous women. Um, yeah. And basically a detective is on the case along with uh, a psychiatrist and they're trying to, or a psychologist, whatever the hell it is. I don't know. Trying to figure out who the killer is. The killer starts to taunt the police, calling them with a duck voice. And we're introduced to all these kind of weird, sleazy kind of characters, people that have, you know, bigger sexual exploits, like um, a wife that goes out and kind of, you know, finds uh, her lovers and stuff like that. And her husband lets it. They're both kind of have their own perversities and things like that. I um, mean, it seems like everybody in here has a sexual vice, but uh, all signs start to point to a guy with three fingers who reminds me of the Italian William Smith um, as the killer but knowing these movies there's going to be some twists and turns and obviously the killer is called the New York Ripper or the, the title is called the New York Ripper because like Jack the Ripper he likes to cut up his victims pretty freaking bad and I really don't think that anybody needs to see the nipple slicing in HD but we get it any, uh, in 4K or HD <laughs> or maybe at all but it's so brutal and insane that nipple slicing I, I, I mean you'll never forget it and I feel genuinely horrible when that happens um but in the beginning of this movie it feels like there's definitely a macabre sense of humor um when uh, it opens up like a, a csi or something or like a, a new york undercover where like this guy's fetching with his dog like you're like and then brings back a hand and he's like <gasps> and you're just like i was like that feels like something that they would put on tv nowadays but um I, it reminds me too of like the faulty new york city and the opening of zombie you hear the the same like a uh, big boat horns is probably the same kind of adr team or sound team behind it but uh yeah again this one has a great funky score similar to like cannibal apocalypse which i brought up uh, all the time but uh it definitely has one of those funkier scores like cannibal ferox or cannibal apocalypse because when you're making an italian movie in the big city you got to have that funk even if it's the 80s and it's maybe a few years too late um so uh anyways really dig this one as well um not as much as house by the cemetery maybe because it's so mean-spirited it's a i mean all his movies the kills are at least mean-spirited but i i like more the horror aspect or the weird kind of supernatural aspect with his movies a little bit more not always though but I think this one has some lots of mean things in it. But um, the duck stuff, some people will laugh at um, because it's so freaking bizarre, but I, I really like it, to be honest. Anyways, uh, New York Ripper, uh, it's a really um, nasty movie, but um, you know what you're getting into. When I mean, this is one of the ones that they didn't even... Um, set for it wouldn't even get put on the video nasties list because they didn't even let it get through they were like we're not even going to screw with that one this is just out and we're banned like no get it out of here um so anyways love the hell out of this one too like i said i'm a big falchi um highly recommended if you haven't seen this one uh like i said it has some of the same cast as before i know that they mentioned in the special features that katarina katrina mccall was offered the role i'm glad she didn't take it i can't see her getting cut up like this it would be really unpleasant but we do have um the lead from um house by the cemetery in here as well but anyways 
a big fan of the movie. Um, some people would claim it's misogynistic, and I, you know, and maybe Fulci's working through some things here. Some people would argue that, but anyways, um, and, and I, I do want to point out that this does have a direct correlation to his real life, um, with one of his daughters being hurt, and I learned that from uh, uh, Fulci for Fake, and I was like you know what I never registered that that I that like because I didn't know that history about his daughter being injured like that and uh, just watching the the ending of this the girl in the hospital and you know maybe Fulci is vicariously living through the killer here and um, you know uh, something that I think Dari Argento has, has done as well and I think that sometimes Sam Peckinpah vicariously lives through his uh, characters in his movies so um, anyways uh, love New York Ripper good stuff <laughs> What do you want? To dedicate a murder to you. Sacrifice a woman exclusively for you. So she's got on silk. Nah. <laughs> she's like her, don't wear nothing, right? Hmm? Oh, I was wrong about the bank. But she sure wants to go for a little ride. Somebody called for you. Yeah, who? Guy with a strange voice. Said he called you back. He sounded just like a duck. Just like a duck? The guy who attacked her is our friend who calls and talks like a duck. Well, made his first big mistake. Yeah. Anyway, we've got all five boroughs alerted. We'll also inform all the radio stations. Shouldn't be too hard to find a guy missing two fingers in his right hand. Poor dumb cop. <laughs> you don't think I'm missing people to let you pinpoint me with your stupid crazy machines, do you? <laughs> Till the next victim. So you think he'll do it again? Oh, yes. He used a very sharp knife, rammed it into her vagina, and hauled up on it as hard as he could. A little hasty, but as butchery goes, perfectly effective.
Okay, we're continuing the Fulci Fest, and this is probably, this is tied in my, in my number one spot um, as my favorite Fulci, but it's probably top two. I, I can't pick. So this is uh, The Beyond, another one of the Gates of Hell trilogy. Um, first, I want to say that the, the Grindhouse releasing looks pretty good. Um, this has probably one of my all-time favorite scores by Fabio Frizzi. And I think on the special features of Fake for Fulci, uh, Fulci for Fake, he mentioned that this is the one where he was just sitting there playing the piano on set and it was out of tune. And Fulci said, that's what I need. That's the score. And it might have been that or our uh, City of the Living Dead. But um, this, this, this score is so crazy. So basically, Katrina McCall inherits a, a hotel um, over the um, in New Orleans from a, a late uncle or something like that. And uh, this motel, or hotel, it's a hotel, um, is built on one of the seven uh, doors of hell. Um, years ago, this guy, Shrike, um, was brutally uh, kind of uh, beaten with chains and crucified and, and covered in lye in this place. And uh, yeah, so he's basically in this place still. And, I, and that's another thing I kind of want to point out, that these three Gates of Hell trilogy all have like a great um, antagonist. Um, in, in House by Cemetery, we have Dr. Freusheen. In this one, we have Shrike, or Shriek, or Shrike, I think it's Shrike. And then in the other one, we have Father Thomas. We have all three of these real nasty villains that I love that are supernatural. Um, so basically what happens is they move into this hotel and pretty quickly strange things start to happen um nightmare logic at its finest um david warbeck has a uh, um you know doctor who gets involved because he starts helping people that get hurt there um but this one is great the atmosphere is so wonderful the opening is is, is amazing too ungodly warlock <laughs> with the chain gore is on point um there's some ridiculous moments of people being eaten alive by tarantulas gotta love that um david warbeck i love in this one he's, he's just i always enjoyed him there's an appearance by al cliver some other familiar your faces. I actually really like the the weird characters that they have in here that you never trust fully. Um, like when Joe the plumber comes down, he makes eye contact with like the maid, and they're like staring at each other. And you're like, what? what's going on between those two something's going on between those two but um it also happens with arthur who's also in house by the cemetery you don't trust him in that either so like all these kind of weird characters that are around um we also have the blind girl who has obviously escaped from the beyond and and once you see the beyond it's kind of I, I feel like hellraiser probably the only movie that it directly lifted from is the beyond because once you see the beyond you have these you're, you're blind like you have blind because of the whore. Um, so, so I love that they give you a little hint at what's the end, what's to come at the end of the movie. So um, we have this blind girl who's warning Katrina McCall about everything. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like she escaped from hell to basically, or not even hell, it, it's some Lovecraftian hell. Some, it's the beyond. Um, escape from this area to... Um, kind of do something for them but maybe she didn't fulfill her contract or it's time to go back but um there's all sorts of like crazy things going on um as i mentioned Fulci pops up in all these movies of course he thinks himself as a hitchcock which i love seeing him pop up um so anyways uh, um this one is just fantastic like i said um there's this character in here this girl who throughout the movie her parents um they both get killed in horrific ways um her her father with the uh the eyes poked out and her mother with acidic um being burned but at the end of this movie and it's just batshit crazy when we have like this big zombie outbreak at the hospital and just <sighs> there's so many good creepy moments like when um david warbeck and katrina mccall run out of the hotel and they drive off and it focuses on the, the building and we see all the lights come on and you see like um, basically like shadows walking in every room and you're like, oh shit, man, imagine if they would have went upstairs or stayed in there. Um, I, I love this thing. I, I can't 
speak, um, you know, I just love the movie. Um, there's nothing wrong with it to me. It's a masterpiece, Nightmare Logic at its finest. And uh, the score, the score is, is one of the finest scores. I used to run to it and I would be terrified while running because I'd feel like something was chasing me. And it's also one of those scores that's so powerful, like maybe it's maybe it is because it's out of tune. I think this is the one that it just, it's, it's off. Like it's off to your ears. So it just kind of brings sorrow, if that makes any sense. I feel like it does. Like, cause the end of this movie is probably one of the finest endings to any horror film ever made. Um, and I get chills thinking about it. You know, the hair stands up on the back of my neck when they just, they, they're in the beyond and um, after all the characters you've seen get the, the blind eyes and your two leads here they're running the one way and then they turn around and they run to the screen and I know this is a spoiler but if you haven't seen the beyond then God have mercy on your soul they they run to the screen and their eyes are blind and it's just like it has this amazing it, 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 it you know basically is the painting that you've seen earlier in the film and it's just a, it's a wonderful fucking um, ending so uh, this one has a bunch of features as well and I actually didn't dive into the features on this one and I haven't covered this release so um, yeah there's uh, new interviews to Katrina McCall it seems like there's a bunch of people on here including Fulci's daughter and Fabio Frizzi uh, rare archival interviews with Fulci and Warbeck and unfortunately Warbeck died really young too which is unfortunate because he used to talk about possibly be a movie the beyond the beyond a sequel to this but anyways the beyond is one of my all-time favorite horror movies and one of the reasons why Fulci is so high on my favorite directors of all time <laughs> You are Eliza, aren't you? Yes. My name is Emily. I've been looking for you. Go back to where you came from and hurry. Leave this place. Sixty years ago, everybody in this hotel disappeared. Every last person. A painter called Spike, who lived here, closeted in his room, had found a key. Tell me, with all those accidents, you think you'll um, give it up now? I couldn't do that if I wanted to. Well, I won't give in. Nobody here. 
I can feel a presence. Somebody else is in here. Oh, some weird story that Emily told me about room 36. Emily? Who's Emily? The blind girl that lives in the old house by the crossroads. seven gateways to hell because through that gateway evil will invade the world okay the next one here is the gates of hell or aka city of the living dead um another fantastic movie um also made the video nasties of list along with the beyond and did House by the Cemetery make it? I'm sure it probably did. But, um, okay. So, uh, The Gates of Hell. This is the first of the trilogy. And this one I hadn't watched in a long time. I always remembered liking it. Um, Fabio Frizzi score again. Um, very reminiscent of Zombie. Some of it for sure. Um, one of the scores in here is exactly like Zombie. But uh, this one, again, we have the premonitions um, as well. We have a, a Katrina McCall. She's kind of in the psychic group. And she witnesses a priest hang himself. And this opens up The Gates of Hell in Dunwich, which is a very Lovecraftian idea as well, Dunwich, you know. So, um, basically, she dies of fright, everybody thinks, but she's actually alive. The reporter uh, played, um, geez, Christopher George by Christopher George, who's in a bunch of movies, Exterminator and, and Grizzly and a bunch of movies, um, goes to investigate, realizes she's been buried alive, digs her up, and the two of them embark on trying to figure out what the hell had happened. So, after the, he somehow trusts the psychic abilities of her, and they go to look for this Dunwich, which is not on any map, and uh, Dunwich, in the meanwhile, is having all these kind of weird people. People are disappearing off the streets. People are witnessing corpses kind of rise, and, and all sorts of crazy things are happening. And Father Thomas is actually going around as a supernatural zombie, and kind of people are coming back to life as well. But um, this kind of uh, lets the movie get really gory because Father Thomas has powers. Um, and um, I have to mention the probably most infamous gore scene of all time, one of them, is when this poor uh, Father Thomas makes this girl cry blood and puke out her innards. Um, you'll notice Michaela Suave is in here, as well as Al Cliver has a bit role, and Giovanni, Giovanni Radici um, as Bob. A different Bob this time. But, uh, yeah, so it, it's got a really good cast, like I said, um, in here. But it just gets batshit. It's probably the most inept, um, at least comparable to Beyond. It's more inept than Beyond at what happens. But this one, again, has these uh, reoccurring themes like superstitious, small town, which I love that Fulci does perfectly well. And uh, I love all the weird things that are happening. Like these guys in a bar, they progressively show them throughout the movie. <laughs> and um, it just gets worse and worse for all these guys. But there's so many great gore set pieces. Um, and there's lots of cool, scary, atmospheric moments like thick fog running through the streets and zombies jumping off bridges and stopping you like, and getting in front of you. Just lots of crazy stuff in here. Free 
freaky too. Like the zombies have powers, supernatural zombies, which is why I never really include them in the flesh eating zombie scale. Like how do I rate this? It's like, I feel like they're different. They're so different that I can't compare them, but they are zombies. Um, anyways, I, I like this one. The ending is a little, some people would put a knock on it because it's a little unfinished for sure, but under, it has great uh, atmosphere with the cemetery and the crypts and going under the ground and character, lots of characters die. And again, a very dark ending in this one. But uh, really recommended. Um, I, and how would I rank the main bad guys in all three of these movies? I really like all three of them. But I think Fridstein is probably the coolest, to be honest, uh, from House by the Cemetery. Um, love this one as well. Maybe not as much as The Beyond or House by the Cemetery, but damn close. Very damn close. Um, great cast again. Um, this one, like I said, is super weird with the premonitions. More like premonition-like, like he would use in like the Psychic, um, which is pretty much that whole movie. But uh, City of Living Dead also has a bunch of features on here. I know I watched a couple of the new ones. It uh, has an uh, interview with uh, Dardano Secchietti, who basically wrote tons of his like his prime movies that people love. He wrote a lot of those. And we have Katrina McCall, um, camera operator Roberto uh, Devizanzetti, and then we have a bunch of people on here. Sergio Sal Salvetti, um, who also was in that uh, Fulci for Fake documentary, um, who is basically his like cinematographer for all his big movies. Um, so he he's fantastic. And we have Stephen Thrower. We have so many people involved in these releases; it's ridiculous. I, I just I, there's so much that if I spent the time reading the back of the case, it would be five to ten minutes. But just to uh, let you guys know, it's stacked. It looks pretty good too. I thought it looked great and sounded great. Not as good as the 4Ks, of course, but it's only a Blu-ray. But uh, yeah. Yeah, um, again, Fulci, you can, he can do no wrong for me. Close those gates. We interrupt this program to bring you a special broadcast. Dunwich police authorities have declared a state of emergency. Effective immediately in Dunwich County. All citizens are requested to return to their homes as quickly as possible. In case of necessity, contact this station. Did you see anything besides that tombstone? Oh, yes. I saw a priest. Who, by hanging himself, opened the gates of hell. Do you hear? 
guess what? It's All Saints Day. A demanding, implacable enemy whose search for blood is never satiated. Okay, um, I started doing diff something different with the Patreon picks. Basically, I have people give me a subject, like a giallo you've never seen is what um, I believe, uh, is it uh, Travis gave me? Uh, a giallo I've never seen. So I decided to keep in line with Fulci, and I can't believe I never watched The Psychic by Fulci, but I hadn't. Um, so I watched this one for the uh, Fulci Fest. Um, yeah, this one uh, stars, uh, who is it? Jennifer O'Neill from Scanners and uh, Julia Gemma, who plays um, geez, Sartana. He plays Sartana. Uh, yeah, this movie is super classy. Um, I know people are thinking when they think Fulci, they immediately think like zombies, that kind of stuff. But, you know, everybody knows that Fulci was pretty much a journeyman before that kind of gothic horror phase. And he could do comedies and westerns and crime, uh, pleziotetsis and fantasy. Fulci could do pretty much everything. Um, so... Um, the Psychic. This was one he did kind of his thriller giallo phase with one on top of the other. Um, the Psychic, Don't Torture Duckling, Lizard in a Woman's Skin. And uh, yeah, this this is a fantastic movie. Uh, objectively, it's one of his best. Um, subjectively, I'm a little bit more trashy so I or, or like horror things, so I go for the supernatural stuff with Fulci. Besides Don't Torture Duckling, I think that's a masterpiece. But as far as The Psychic is concerned, um, this is a super strange movie. So um, Jennifer O'Neill has, um, as, even as a little girl, she had premonition she was a psychic and in the very beginning her mother kills herself which is really disturbing and it kind of plays into something that happened in Fulci's life which really depressed me um, that I learned from again from fake uh, Fulci for fake so essentially she's seen premonitions her entire life and one day she's, she's ready she's about to get married she's driving through a tunnel and she kind of has one of these premonitions and she kind of blacks out and she sees all sorts of weird things um, she sees this room with a, a wall all dug out and a corpse within the wall. So, um, kind of, she, um, is like about to get married. So in her family, they're in her new family or her husband's family. There's this, this kind of summer cottage that she decides to go to and kind of remodel, see what the hell's there. And she realizes that this is the place from her premonition. So she starts to kind of dig around and she realizes that the room in her premonition is there. So she digs into the wall and she finds a body. And, and right there brings up a lot of questions. Her husband is immediately arrested for it, even though he's claiming he didn't do it. And she's basically on a mission to try to figure out who actually was the murderer and free her husband's name. But there's tons of twists and turns. And I don't want to spoil this one because there's lots of cool things going on. And it reminds me of Don't Look Now, kind of like um, seeing these premonitions throughout, but kind of not ignoring them, but being so intrigued with them that you're leading yourself somewhere you really shouldn't be going. But the premonition is not what she thinks it is it really is not um but i love the hints like um there's this song that plays throughout the premonition and when you figure out how she got that song or when she figure out the cigarettes that are in the premonition how they became to be you're like oh no it's like this self-fulfilling destiny it's just perfect the song the music's also great too i think it's another fabio frizzy score um so man this one like I, I the more it literally is something that i can't get into without directly spoiling it but super dark movie super dark movie and now give it give it some time because the first half an hour you're like okay okay but then by like you're intrigued with the case and then you're like oh no everything comes together and you're like that's genius that's genius that's insane and just mind-boggling all at the same time top tier faulty for sure on um, the psychic great stuff also released by scorpion so every 10 or 15 years a film is produced that is so overwhelming 
so forceful in its impact that it becomes deeply embedded in the mind and changes for all time those who see it. We think the psychic is such a film. Its intensity may be more than some wish to be exposed to, and those people should be forewarned. Just imagine how frightening it is to suddenly find that you can see into the future, and how much more terrifying it is to see in that future your own murder. And then, worst of all, no one will believe you. Jennifer O'Neill is the psychic. Okay, this next one is from MVD Rewind, and this is Mikey from 1992. I had actually never seen Mikey. It was on my list to see. I know a lot of my friends and a lot of the people I grew up with had seen it and would mention it, the killer kid movie Mikey. So, okay, I put this in, and this kind of reminds me of a mixture of Mommy. Um, what's the one? Um, Mommy, yeah, with uh, Patty McCormick and the stepfather. It's not as classy as the stepfather. I think it's more in line with Mommy kind of being a little tongue-in-cheek and knowing kind of how weird and kind of silly it is but ser- and serious at the same time. <laughs> so we have Mikey. Um, right in the beginning of this movie, you realize he's adopted into this rich family. Mikey's an idiot. Like, literally, he's in this rich family. He should just play his cards right and end up being, like, a politician or something. Uh, I don't know what he's doing. But he's very unhappy that, you know, his sister might be getting more treatment than him. So we watch him, like, completely kill this entire family from little girl to mom to father. And, um, you know, right, this movie's not going to pull any punches killing little kids right off the bat. So, anyways, Mikey plays his cards right and he ends up going to a different orphanage and getting adopted by John Dahl and his wife and uh yeah so at first everything seems great Mikey seems like the perfect kid as the audience we know he's a little sicko he is a voyeur he likes to make his own horror movies as he calls them um and he obviously it's kind of this weird thing where you think that like violence in movies has turned Mikey which is like come on now and the cover is pretty funny it said what's the cover the tagline everybody remembers it Remember Jason and Freddy were kids once too, and they spread they spelled Freddy with an IE, so maybe they don't want to get in trouble. But uh, yeah, remember back in the '90s when they would just like put like those taglines late '80s on the things like involving Chucky and Freddy, or try to like reach out to people. Like Sleepaway Camp Two had the the Freddy glove, and and uh, Night of the Demons had um, Angela's throwing a party. Freddy and Jason are too afraid to come, but you'll have a hell of a time. So, um, anyways, it's definitely playing in on that. But Mikey, I, I found myself enjoying quite a bit. Um, he's just a little perverted sleaze. You hate him. You hate him the entire movie. Um, you can't stand him. But anyways, you just watch him manipulate them and, and just be a creep. Um, that kid from Jurassic Park is in here. I can't think. I think he's also in. He's in. I think he's in Freddy's. Uh, the Fred Nightmare on Elm Street Five. He's in here as a as kind of a friend. But uh, Mikey start, sets his sights on the neighborhood uh, girl who's a little bit older than him. And you kind of start to see his weird psychology. And he's picking people off kind of similar ways he always does. Anyways, I thought this was a decent thriller. I thought it ended pretty fun, uh, pretty cool. Um, left it open for a sequel. I don't think we ever got one. 
but we did get one called Milo, which I don't think I've ever, I think I've only seen parts of that one as well. But anyways, uh, this, this release is stacked. Like I couldn't believe how much effort they put into this. They made like a new feature length documentary. It's like an hour and 30 minutes and involving, um, it has, uh, interviews with the direct, um, the director, um, and the stars and the editor and producer and the cinematographer. So literally they kind of talk about Mikey. The director's pretty funny, pretty candid. There's a moment where he's like, they, they, um, there's a scene where Mikey has the house, the gas on and they were like, that scene called for candles. And somebody's like, wait, wait, what are you doing? If you have candles, it's going to blow up immediately. He's like, oh shit. Like, and that just that whole idea on them. Just, he was very candid about the situation. And I think they made a pretty decent little uh, thriller. Very nineties. You know, it's funny is like, if I complain about certain movies that are super serious with killer kids, like Eden Lake, I know I have my hangups on it, but like Mikey is kind of goofy or tongue-in-cheek or has these little bit comedic moments so i give it a pass i know maybe it's hypocritical but um if you like this one they, they remastered it um the, the sound and everything is pretty good i had no complaints when it came to that <laughs> and it's it, it doesn't seem like a huge budget movie or anything like that and it's got a beefy making of an hour and a half so check out mikey you're gonna have to be very patient with him in the beginning Get him placed with adoptive parents as quickly as you can. They took him away from his real parents. He was abused or something. I don't know. Who are you? I'm Mikey Trenton. Trentons don't have a kid. Now they do. You don't love me anymore. That's not a toy. I know that. Mikey, no! Um, I'm calling to inquire about a former student of yours. His name is Mikey Trenton, and he's in the fourth grade. Pilgrim's back to the turkey's fixing. Officially, this case is closed. Get okay, that down. It's not a toy. That's what you said. <laughs> Hasn't he ever been checked out? Psychologically? Life is full of accidents. What are you talking about? The radio. It's not safe. Why not? Don't you know anything about his history? He's a wonderful kid. He, he's perfect. Yeah, he's too perfect. I've been doing some research into Mikey Trenton's background. If I had a girlfriend, I'd do anything for her. I think that there's something very wrong with Mikey. There's something very strange about him. I think that Mikey's in love with me. He's only nine years old. Why don't you like me anymore? No. Mikey, no! People aren't the ones to be scared of. Living people are. I need all the information you can give me on Mikey Trenton. <laughs> what do you want, Mikey? <laughs> it's psychotic behavior. Mikey just needs a good, stable home. Remember, Jason and Freddy were kids once, too. Okay, we have uh, one from Vinegar Syndrome here, and this is uh, Pigs, directed by Mark Lawrence, also stars Mark Lawrence and his daughter. Um, I had actually never seen Pigs. I mean, it's so weird, like some of these titles, like I bought it on VHS, DVD, and then the Blu-ray, I never watched. And it's just like a title like Pigs, you're like, oh, that's so stupid. But then you watch something like Pigs, and you're like, this is really, really great, you know, this psychological kind of horror film. Um 
Mark Lawrence runs this diner kind of in the middle of nowhere. He's used to be a, a circus performer. Um, he used to walk the trans the Transpease Act, I think, and he fell. And uh, they said he fell like 60 feet and lived, and he never was the same. So he's kind of bizarre. One day this girl shows up, and she's she's really kind of out of it. And uh, she's obviously running from something and just bizarre. And, and for some reason, Mark Lawrence and her have a connection, and they start to kind of – she starts to work for him. But um, people kind of start to disappear. And Mark Lawrence is not on the level as it is. He has his pigs in the back, and there's these kind of crazy neighbors that think that Mark Lawrence is turning people into pigs. Um, they're like, he's turning them into pigs, and the sheriff's like, stop it, you guys are ridiculous. But after um, this girl moves in, uh, Daphne, what was it her name? I can't remember, but she she comes in, and uh, some people start to disappear um, and get picked off, and and soon enough, it kind of leads to them. But um, this one's really good, and it's basically a character study, and you. She has these problems with her father, and there's this this weird moment where she's always calling back home. And I think that it's somewhat an endearing kind of a moment between Mark Lawrence and um, the, the the killer in here. But um, I just kind of like it. I, I really just enjoyed the thing. It's, it doesn't have much to it. And the ending I love, too, because uh, they do something. They bring that whole idea back with the people turning into pigs. And I was like, that's just so crazy. But uh, I like it. It's not overly gratuitous when it comes to the violence. It has like a lot of sexual kind of tension and stuff like that in there. Um, and you know, just know, kind of like these, this whole genre of movies where girls have been screwed up by their fathers. Like, um, what's that one? Uh, something with dolls or the toys. Uh, toy play she plays with toys or something like that that arrow put out that's really fantastic um and also uh the one they put out dark august also has that element and mary mary bloody mary has that element i just kind of like these ideas with these daddy father stories that are just kind of twisted and just all out of the place and and they're obviously kind of inspired by psycho with the mommy uh, uh son kind of storylines i just like these weird twisted family stories or these people that have been messed up by their family and they carry that psychological screwed up torch throughout but uh yeah um anyways really like this and i really like mark lawrence and it's just a weird performance i don't know if it's a great performance because he's just like kind of all over the place but he also directed the movie but i don't know it's just you know also has that kind of um i don't want to say psychotronic or maybe is that the word i'm looking for where like i don't i don't want to say that like it just feels like that i, I want to put it in the same line as something like a toby hooper movie like um that eaten alive or texas chainsaw massacre not on that level but that southern kind of fried thing or rule very rule movie but uh there are some features on here that uh, I watched an uh, interview with uh, the actress Tony Lawrence and the composer Charles Bernstein, which is crazy because he did Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and I remember this This is one of these deals where they have like the theme music too, which I love, like that folky theme music, which they used to do in the 70s, like Chino or tons of movies or the crazies. I just love the movies have their own like theme made for it. But anyways, it works too and it always plays and it just fits perfect. So anyways, really liked Pigs. Very surprised by it. Very much, So much better than you would think. Daddy? Daddy, tell me the piggy story again. <laughs> this little piggy went to market. This little piggy stayed home. This little piggy had... He feeds those pigs dead people. And then he eats the pigs. They got used to eating human flesh. I, I gotta do it. Uh, I'm sorry.
you touch me. Don't you touch me. I don't like pigs touching me. your neighborhood theater from Cenevid. Rated R. No one under 17 admitted without a parent or guardian. Okay, another one from Vinegar Syndrome is The Berserker, or just Berserker from what, late 80s? 87, I want to say? And this is one I actually had on like an import DVD that I never watched, and I was kind of intrigued to check this one out. Okay, so the opening, we have this like Berserker, who's like this big Viking kind of guy with like this bear suit screaming and yelling. So like, okay, we got our killer. And then uh, we have this group of kids who are going to go to this uh, area. The one kid used to camp all the time. He's like, my father used to bring me here. And he starts telling these stories about his father. And like, we're going to get a mutilator story where we got Big Ed coming in, hacking people up, where it's actually the kid's father. So I started to think that for a while. So anyways, um, Buckflower, the wonderful Buckflower, owns this, uh, you know, this camping ground. And he's like super Swedish and he's got a weird beard. Um, and he has a couple of beers, as Buckflower will be known to do. Um, so basically, um, they're, they're camping here. They have to go through Buckflower. Um, the main guy's kind of a jerk. In fact, he's an idiot. Uh, his interaction with the cop, you're like, this guy just needs to shut his mouth and keep driving. He got lucky he didn't get arrested. So... Um, Anyways, they decide to camp where they're not supposed to. Um, some people had been mauled, what appears to be by a bear, but we all think it's a berserker. But then they start to show scenes with a bear. So you're like, what? Is this guy turning into a bear? Is it actually a bear? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So um, anyways, uh, there's, there's like an hour or like basically 45 minutes before anything really happens. We have some setup with uh, Buckflower and this book of historical, you know, people, our ancestors in the area about, and it mentions berserkers. We have a bookworm who explains the story to everybody. So the audience also knows. Um, so, so basically what happens is um, they, there is an attack. Um, and one of the attacks is actually cut together with a sex scene, which is pretty crazy to me and actually thought probably was the most effective scene in the movie. Um, also a lot of atmosphere, lots of fog and, you know, nice woods and stuff. So, um, basically what happens is people start to get picked off and we do learn what the killer is. Um, and and there's a little twist at the end, which I kind of liked. The movie's a little too slow. Um, I don't think there is enough, you know, kills in the movie to warrant some of the, you know, I just think it gets, starts to slow down a little bit. Did I hate the movie? No. Um, I thought it was decent. I thought it was all right. I like, um, you know, kind of some parts about it here and there, but, um, I don't know. This isn't going to be for everybody. Slasher enthusiasts should get a kick out of it. Um, they remastered it. It looks really great. Um, sounds really great. I thought the movie is pretty decent. I didn't love it, but I, I would give it a, a slight recommend. Um, there is an interview with the director on here and he tells a big story about, he used to work in, uh, you know, he worked for the studio in the studio system for a very long time. Tells some great stories about Buckflower and the other actor in here, how about they're all buddies and everything. And Buckflower is basically like a brother to him because neither of them had one. And I love Buckflower. He's one of these character actors that's always in a movie and he's just fantastic. Fantastic. Um, he's the best part of almost all the movies he's in, especially 91, 967 Evil 2 and Camp Fear. So, um, yeah, I, I would give this one a recommend if, it's a, if, it's a, if it sounds like you'd like it. So um, you could do much worse for a slasher. <laughs> Did you go camping? 
Yeah. 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 Well, watch yourself out there. Wild animals out in the woods. When I was 18, I knew what I'd be. Cause rock and roll was my destiny. That big street world was not for me. At least inside myself, my music was free. Okay, this next one is another Patreon pick. Uh, Jason Willard said, do a direct-to-video 90s like uh, martial arts movie. So I'm looking through, and there's one that pops up, and I'm like, you know, this is Two Birds with One Stone. It's a 91, and I always wanted to watch it. And it, it feels a little bit like it could be kind of construed as like a thriller horror movie. So it's Tiger Claws. So I was excited to check out Tiger Claws. I have the VHSs sitting around here somewhere, but I don't feel like digging them out. I know, I'm lazy. But, um, okay, so Tiger Claws. I, I've always wanted to see it. There's three of them. Bolo Young is in here, so I was like, cool. And Cynthia Rock, Rockwood, Rockwood or Rock, whatever her name is. She's in a bunch of these kind of 90s martial arts movies. Um, I do like some of these 90s direct-to-video martial arts movies. I'm a big fan of Best of the Best Part 2. So, um, okay. I start watching this and all the characters in here and we have this, this uh, Cynthia is like undercover as a prostitute. Some guy tries to, she beats him up and then we cut to this other guy who's an undercover cop and um, these other idiot cops screw up something for him. And right away I was like, this is a vanity project for that guy, isn't it? And I looked it up and he was a producer on it and uh, this guy single-handedly ruins this movie. He is just trash. He's a, not a good actor. He's not interesting. Um, dialogue is awful. He has no charisma, but he must know martial arts or something because he sold his uh, his jewelry um, company to make a film company using a bunch of these movies. Um, he's awful in it. He's the main guy. Him and Cynthia Rock will have to team up to figure out who the serial killer is who's picking off these other martial artists. It all points to this clan called the Tiger Claw that practices martial arts, like Tiger Claw thing. And of course, the Tiger Claw killer is in there. They have to figure it out and fight him, and that's pretty much the plot of the movie. Um, the police chief is absolutely hilarious um, in the movie. I don't think his performance is good, but he's like, sure, Laurie, let's do it. I don't even know. He's like, just such a, I, I can't explain his demeanor, but every time he talked, I laughed hysterically. I don't know if he's 80 yard. I don't know if the, the writer or director was like, you have to say the lines verbatim and made him be really stiff. But I was cracking up every time he talked. He was by far my favorite part of the movie. Um, there's lots of stupid cops in the movie and characters. There's some squibs. There's some shots. Um, I don't... The, the fights are okay. They're not great. Bolo Young I like to watch. I always like to watch. There's a decent shootout in a nightclub. But this movie, for the most part, is pretty bad. I did not enjoy it. And um, with these movies, like, I'll, I'll watch a, a Steven Seagal movie. An old one. Because, you know, the character actors and the side, the supporting actors are going to be pretty decent. I'll watch some Van Damme movies because over time he got a lot better and I enjoyed him. I love Arnold. I love Stallone. I like Dolph Lundgren. So um, I, I, I even watch Chuck Norris movies. So this puts uh, this guy is bad. He's freaking bad and bland and boring. And he looks like he weighs 125 pounds. Anyways, Tiger Claw. Not for me. I, 
and I, I thought this one of the sequels was one of the ones that I had seen on TV and always wanted to finish. I don't know if it is anymore. I don't think I'm going to dive into Tiger Claws 2 or 3. I think I'm done. On the streets of New York's Chinatown stalks a new and deadly killer. A serial killer on the loose with ancient martial arts skills. Now, two of New York's toughest cops must use all their skills, all their knowledge, and all their courage to catch Tiger Claws. Must be 10,000 martial artists in New York alone. He's not a lunatic, and he's not out of control, and that's what makes him so dangerous. Don't ever underestimate him. You did that with a sword? No, it's hand. It's Tiger Claws. I've been accepted to train with them. Defend yourself. He came at me with the same pattern, but I need more time. There's no more time. And you, we are the same. We're not the same. Jalal Merai, Cynthia Rothrock, Bolo Young, Tiger Claws. Okay, another one as a run through 91 is um, a violation of trust or violation of trust, a.k.a. she said she was innocent. And JP told me to watch this one. It's more of a lifetime thriller than a horror film. But uh, yeah, so it's got Katie Seagal in it and Ricard, uh, Robert Picardo. So some decent acting. This is definitely a very lifetimey. So essentially what happens is a girl and her friend confront another friend for sleeping with uh, one her her boyfriend and she was pregnant supposedly and um uh, essentially they chase her, she falls down somewhere and um they they run and leave, but it turns out that she had been murdered. So all signs point to her and her friend doing it. They decide to make a pack and not say anything about it that they didn't do anything wrong and uh Katie Segal is also pregnant going through a divorce divorce and she's the mother of this girl she decides to try to figure out what the hell happened refuses to believe that her daughter did it she said she's innocent as a matter of fact so basically what happens is we really don't know who did it we start to kind of uh, discover and do all these things and you're like she did it she admits it but is there more to the story that actually seems to be so um it unfolds um katie seagal's really good and i like her um there's a police uh officer who's involved in the case and they start to have kind of a relationship with kind of screws things up even more and of course katie seagal's uh you know ex-husband comes into this situation they're they're on their way to getting divorced so he screws it up but it's very melodramatic the guy who plays the police officer you guys will recognize from john carpenter's prince of darkness he's the main guy in that with the mustache he looks exactly the same as he did in that movie i don't think i've seen him in very much else besides this and prince of darkness um the acting's decent you know it's very lifetimey but it's good i like katie seagal i've always liked her i think she's kind of an underappreciated person in general um Robert Picardo is always good too. You know, he's a lot of John Joe Dante movies. Um, you know, so I, this one's pretty decent. Um, it is a TV movie and it feels like a TV movie, but it's well worth your time if it's up your alley. And the ending is fairly dark and it gets kind of, it takes a couple twists that are cool. So um, that is a violation of trust. You know, Justine has always been very mature for her age. Very funny. And she's very responsible. Hi. Why should I listen to you? Because I'm your mother. I believe it, you're lying. You're doing it behind your back, Justine. Ryan would never do that to me. Ask Vicky. 
I'm not sleeping with your boyfriend. Justine deserves to know the truth. What do you know about anything? You're the one that hit on her boyfriend. Stop it! <laughs> Punch it, okay? Catch her! Punch it! Stop My mom always knows when I'm lying. You can't back out, Justine. Look, nobody can prove anything. We just gotta stick to our story. What is this? No matter what, we don't tell the police. We don't tell our parents. We don't tell anybody at school. Nobody can prove it. I'm scared. If anyone has knowledge of Vicky's whereabouts, please get in touch with her mother and me. So you'd have no way of knowing if Vicki Gilmore was here or not? My daughter says she wasn't. She wasn't. That kid's lying. Honey, you told the police everything, right? Of course. Yeah. Okay. They believe Justine is lying about seeing Vicki Gilmore on the night of the murder. I need to know if I'm going to get sandbagged. We're arresting your daughter for the murder of Victoria Gilmore. I know my daughter. Mom, I didn't do it! Things can't get much worse for me, but they can get worse for you. Promise me you will not tell. Don't you tell either. Okay, I'm confused. I don't know right from wrong right now. In your worst possible scenario, your daughter goes to jail. You'll see her again. I know. No, you don't. I'm running away. Not this time. Leave me alone, Mom. Just get off my case. Seeing my daughter's corpse. Amy, please. That upsets me. Why are you so sure she's lying? Consistence. Why was her diary full of you, Ryan? I don't know. It's not. Sometimes I feel so awful. I can hardly stand myself. My daughter is on trial for her life. No matter what, I love you. Okay, the next one from 91 is called Stranger, and this one's kind of weird. This is a, a Toei movie that was, a, I think it was a Toei TV movie or something, but um, it's from 91, of course. It's Japanese, and uh, this is kind of like, at the, the plot of this movie, I was like, is this just cold hell from a couple years ago with a taxi driver having to fight a killer? And it's kind of like that. We have this woman who at one point was embezzling some money, and she was lied to by the guy she was dating. They kind of got arrested. They both got in trouble. Years later, she's out, and she's a taxi driver. She's very cold and distant. And doesn't feel like trusting anyone because what happened um soon enough some weird stalker starts to kind of try with a burn on her hand starts to screw with her and you don't really know who it is is it somebody from her past but anyways um she doesn't want help from anybody including all the people that she works with that are always trying to talk to her and hit on her and some are actually trying to be nice but a lot of them are just being you know 90s guys trying to pick her up but uh essentially she has to you know fight back and turns into this stalker area thing i like the main character i really like her she starts this weird relationship with this kid which is kind of uh probably very inappropriate now but also kind of uh, quirky and different, I guess, um, to a certain extent. But I really like her and how she grows as a character and how she wants to take it on the responsibility on her own. And it's a psychological, you know, direct tie to what happened to her by defeating this now oncoming threat with her past, you know, will kind of fix things up. Um, there's some, some brutal moments, um, some animal things that people probably will not like too much. 
But I like the um, night. She's a night driver too, so we have her driving around at night in you know the city. I like that stuff. I like the people all in her cab and everything. So you get a glimpse at her life. And for a while, I was like, is this gonna go taxi driver or it's just it doesn't exactly go cold tell where she witnesses a bunch of murders. It's really kind of a stalker picture. But there's nothing wrong with this one. It's really solid, good performances, and kind of turns in. It's more of a thriller action for sure, but I guess it has some horror elements, but um, that is Stranger. Good stuff. Um, not heard anyone talk about it. Just one I kind of watched on a whim for 91. Okay, and the last 91 movie I'll be covering, because um, we're done, like I said, is Not of This World. And this is a TV sci-fi horror film. Um, really good cast in here. It's got Shang Tsung in here. You guys know from Mortal Kombat. I can never think of his name. Carrie something. Uh, Pat Hengel, Tracy Walter, and there's uh, Xander Berkeley. So it's got a decent cast in here. This director, what was it, Hess, something Hess, I think he did another movie that I actually had watched, which I wasn't a big fan of. Um, he did a couple, actually. So um, this one is a blob story, kind of an electrical blob story. This meteor crashes, um, and the opening's really cool because Pat Hengel is like the grandfather of this young kid, and they're out looking at the telescope, and he's like, it's a meteor shower, and he's explaining everything to him. And um, pretty soon, um, he's like, do meteors hit our, or he's like, what about that, um, you know, in Texas, the big uh, crater? And he's like, well, it happens one in a million. Of course, you know, um, that the meteor hits somebody's barn and burns it down. Um, and what's in that barn is some sort of weird little parasitic creature. It gets on, um, I can't think it gets on a pig and then it starts to grow in there and it electrocutes everything, gets on a dog. And then of course it starts to get on the people and attack them. There's sometimes they explode, which is crazy, but, um, it starts to slow down at one point. There is kind of a big massacre scene where it kills some people. That part kind of plays funny because you get the blob vision. It's going by the blob vision. It's all electrical. Um, but a lot of people do get killed in this. So, you know, like a handful, I would say, more than you would think for a TV movie. Not as good or as effective as something like Keltiki, The Blob, or X The Unknown. But um, it's not absolutely horrible either. So um, I, I found it was pretty decent. And the creature at the end is, is really cool. He's really big and electrical. And, and, and this one's worth a, worth a watch. Decent cast. And for a TV movie, I was happy with it. You know, there's some decent effects for sure. So um, that is not of this world.
the CBS Tuesday movie. It began the night the stars fell from the sky. Hey, Grandpa! Leaving behind a visitor. What is it? Wow. It became an encounter with the unexpected. Something tried to get into Billy's room. A journey into the unknown. It's not safe. And for these few people, it could be the beginning. Daddy, please don't go out there. Of the end, Lisa Hartman and A. Martinez face something not of this world next. And it's out there somewhere. Hey guys, what's up? It's Blind Spot, week 19? I'd say so. This is your pick. This is Logan's Run, another science fiction film that you put in here. Um, I had never seen this movie. It's directed by Michael Anderson, who I know has done a couple other movies. I just, I, it's leaving me right now. Um, it stars uh, Michael York mm-hmm. and uh, Jenny Agutter, who's an American Werewolf in London, and Richard Jordan, who I was really surprised to see in here. Um, I remember him from, uh, you know, Posse and some other things in Chato's Land, stuff like that. I always played a crazy guy. He's like Richard Lynch type. And Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett has a small role in here. Uh, yeah, and a bunch of cats. <laughs> yeah, lots of cats. So um, this is a um, Tolterian society or whatever the hell Utopian you want to call it. society. Yeah, it is not. It's it's one a of these dystopian. Yeah, dystopian. It's one of these yes. movies where you think everything's okay, but then you realize it is not. So there's this dome where everybody lives and everybody has stages of life. When you're young, you have green, and then you get as you get older, yellow and uh, then red. Everybody's dressed uh, color coded in dresses mm-hmm. like that. And there's these people they call the Sandman. Sandman, yeah. and they basically kill anybody who's a runner. Um, a runner is basically someone who refuses to be renewed. A uh, renewal process is when you hit 30, you go into this big kind of vat or this spinning carousel of hell, and you uh, rise to the top and you're zapped and electrocuted. They tell everybody that you're renewed. We know better. It's dystopian society. You're not renewed. We don't understand what they're using these people for, or we don't really know how ever the society works. We just know that it's completely fucked up, and it seems like, honestly, the leaders of this society have abandoned it, if you ask me. Kind of. Kind of. There's, yeah. there's a group of... Um, um, the Sandman, Michael York, um, he, there's this weird kind of dating process where anybody who's willing to hook up goes into this, like, I don't know, this pod transfer and Jenny, a gutter one day shows up and she's wearing a weird kind of necklace and, uh, they start to talk and she kind of plants a bug in his head that maybe what he does is wrong. And maybe that, um, there is no real renewal process and, he starts to do some research. He soon discovers that the computer sends him on some secret mission where he's kind of a double agent and confused, but he starts mm-hmm. to have a change of heart in the middle process and a big run chase of weird nonsense and adventure and sanity. So that's pretty much the setup in the plot, right? Yeah, you would say that um, Logan runs. Logan runs. Oh. Um, this is so weird. Uh, the first like hour, I was just like, the, the fight choreographing stuff, is, it's not great. It's No. It, it's real hammy. It's real cheesy. It's real... Um, 60s, even though this movie's made in 76, a year before Star Wars. Yeah, this but based the, on the same men have the accuracy with their gun as a stormtrooper, I mean. Sometimes, sometimes they sometimes, hit everything. Yeah. <laughs> but they like to play with the people. Um, right. Uh, so basically, at one point, of course, um, it's kind of like THX. It's a like it reminds you of a lot of sci-fi movies, too. Yeah. Um, the George Lucas one, it reminds me of that, except that one's a little bit darker, much darker. But um, this movie starts to pick up for me when they actually get to Sanctuary. Um supposed sanctuary and at this point there is a robot character and i when he showed himself we're going to spoil this movie yeah i paused the movie and looked at jeremy and said i was like yeah i, I was i didn't want to laugh 
But I didn't. I was baffled. I was so goddamn confused. I was like. So at this point, this is like the exact middle mark of the movie. And there is this man that comes out in a aluminum. He's not a man. Box. And he's not a robot. And he is both. Dryer hose arms <laughs> and a colander head. And he has the body, the bottom half of Rosie from, from freaking the Jetsons. Jetsons. <laughs> right. And he starts yelling about fish and plankton and protein from the sea. And you realize <laughs> that this guy was basically responsible and planted there to get food deliveries, freeze them for this, the whole entire population. But he mentions that the sea has, food has stopped coming, and the only people that were coming were the runners that have actually right. escaped. The 1,056 runners, supposedly, the computer told him that have gotten out, which blew his mind because he didn't think anybody ever got out. Right. So, essentially, there's all these frozen people. And you're like, oh, my God. Though, also, I should mention that this movie is highly sexual. Like, oh, there's yeah. tons of nudity. It's such a hippie fest, like, in this mm-hmm. one. And there's this, like, sex room that they go in, and everybody's, like, in slow motion, like, they're, like, on drugs. And it, it's just really trippy. And I, I was kind of surprised by the sexuality in this one. And I actually thought we welcomed it with the sci-fi kind of storyline, too. Yeah, you don't it, see that too often. You don't. You don't. Um, yeah, and it's not like, um, it's not like sex for the sake of being sex. Like, it's it's just, there's just, like, a lot of nudity. Oh, they have sex in there. They're, I mean, they, yeah, the whole sex, sex. I mean, they, place, do, but... they call it the love room, I think. <laughs> Such um, a weird-ass movie. And Richard Jordan is chasing them throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Um, but eventually they stumble across, uh, in this, like, landscape when they get out, they stumble across this old man. Mm-hmm. And this is by far the best performance in the film, the yes. most interesting character, the sweetest, cutest old man I've ever seen in a movie. He's hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. He's like seemed to have based his whole life and existence off cats. Cat, yeah, so um, he starts quoting, is it T.S. Eliot? I think it might be T.S. Eliot. Whatever the musical Cats is based off of, he starts um, quoting the poetry book that show is based off of. And so when he was reading it, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> because... He has learned from his parents, but there's no other human beings. So he right. remembers society somewhat, but his society is jaded. So he'll tell them all these truths of how society used to be because they don't understand how it used to be. And like 75% is semi-accurate and the other 25% is completely outlandish. Mm-hmm. So it becomes hilarious. Like he's like, the, the things he says are so good. And I love his little speech about each cat has three names. Right. <laughs> and then he's like, it's proper name. It's nickname and mm-hmm. it's secret name because they actually have a name that they exactly. can't tell you because they're cats. You're just like, <laughs> like okay. And, and there's a point in this movie where I was like, if this old man dies, fuck this movie. Right. Well, um, when they're so they decide to take the old man because that's the thing. Nobody gets above thirty in this because um, they have these little gems in their hand and they right. change color with their time. So and and then you know you get killed or you run away. Um, so they want to take the old man back to the dome as proof. And and as they're traveling back, the old man's like, just giving them all like this like information. Like there used to be fish here, and and like it's just really fun. Like he's just ranting and raving. Like what are you and doing? Of, and of man? course, it's like some <coughs> Planet of the Apes kind of stuff where you see the old monuments right. of the past and Washington D.C. all mm-hmm. cluttered and things like that. And there's just some really like so hit you over the head with things where he's like i saw this man's face before it's like stop it <laughs> um richard jordan's really kind of intense in the movie i like him yeah uh, jenny a gutter i like I, I michael york's okay no problem no complaints yeah no complaints with michael york he's man he's weird looking 
it's funny to me that he looks like a cat, but he's the only guy in the island of Dr. Monroe 77 that didn't get turned into an animal. Or was he partially turned? I can't. Or Because that movie is animals being turned to men. So Yeah, he looks like um, Remy from Ratatouille. Little rat that controls his hair. I don't know. He's, he's, a, he's also and a lot of people recognize him from Austin Powers. Yeah. He's so um, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. The first like half an hour of this movie, I was like, this is really like. I feel like this is like a cult. This is a definition of a cult movie. Like, yeah. It's so goofy. I was like, this is kind of bad. Like I think this might be a bad movie. And then by the hour mark, I was like. I love this. You know, it's it's kind of hokey at first, um, but, like, the miniatures, the set design, everything is, like, just magnificent. Um, they have, like, the whole city and little monorails going around. Um, and then they have, like, you know, the, the ruins of D.C. All, all covered in grass and stuff. Like, like the, it's actually a really fun movie. It's very fun. And it's a very pleasant movie to look at. And there's some really dumb things. I got so mad at that scene when they interacted with the kids because the kids have that yeah. knife point and then they back up and then I'm like, what? you could have had it. what? What are you doing? Like, I don't understand any of this right now. But uh, read from John Stanley's Creature Features. It was not in tear on tape, of no. course. It's not a horror movie at all. Great. And this is uh, Logan's Run, uh, 1976. Two out of five stars. MGM's version of the William Nolan George Clayton, William Nolan George and Clayton Johnson novel, adapted by David Z. Law Goodman, was thoroughly botched into a bastardization of glaring inconsistencies, peopled by uninteresting characters and often indeptly directed by Michael Anderson. The setting is a subterranean future society where everyone is brainwashed into going to their deaths at th- age 30. If they try to run, they are cut down by sand. Sandman Michael York rebel re, rebel rebels sorry <laughs> and escapes to the outside um, world. Where are we at? I missed a sentence. To run there, Sandman they're cut down by Sandman. Michael York rebels and escapes to the outside world. Peter Usinoff lives in the ruins of the nation's capital. Roscoe Lee Brown plays a robot named Box. Jania Gutter is a love interest, and Farrah Fawcett Majors delivers an appalling performance. Richard Jordan is also in the cast. Farrah Fawcett's really weird in it. Like, I don't know what she, the fuck she was I, doing. She was kind of like a wasted character. Uh, but when they first meet um, the old man, they're like, we met Box. We stopped Box. He's like, oh, I don't know <laughs> right. who Box is. Like, he's literally that character type where it's like an old man. Like, oh. Right. He, it's, like, it's like, imagine like going out and then just like like stopping the first train hobo you see and then like I'm going to bring you back to my perfect society and show you what the real I world I want to meet all like. the people I want to meet all the people because that's what he is he's, he's essentially just like a North End crackhead I mean <laughs> like okay he's just some they don't know what North End is but he's just like walking around like this the whole time like right. he literally looks like a dignitary and like Star Wars in the background of like fucking Empire oh, yeah. Strikes Back like like a general who's like that guy really doesn't know what he's doing, does he? But uh, anyways, he's great in it. He's so he's like right. genuinely the best part of the film. To me. I, I I do really appreciate Box. I can't. Box is so I can't stupid. Lie. I don't when know. he came out, I was like, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, this isn't. I was like, this isn't right. Well, and then like you know they they cut the mouth open so <laughs> you can talk. And you can see his like lips and teeth and like facial hair. It's like he, what are you doing? I believe that guy is actually the guy who is in the Cowboys with John Wayne. He's in a bunch of movies. I think that's him, uh, Roscoe Lee Brown, which is just crazy. It's right. just fucking batshit. Like what like put up like a, a screen, like a mask, or just you know paint I mean? his face like like or put like a yeah put like a thing over him, like a right. stalking or something like something. You just like I know he's supposed to be like an android RoboCop type. I guess because he said he's part human still. I don't know what is going on. Right. 
but he uh, gets you a fish and and it's fish and plankton and protein from the sea. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So bizarre. So weird. But, but then it, he yells, my birds, when the... <laughs> <laughs> birds. Why does he have a bunch, of, a bunch of frozen birds, like, stuck up to the cave ceiling? It's like, okay, all right. Oh, what a weird-ass character. Um, what a weird movie, man. So, like, it's... Like, I really like this movie, but, like, there is something missing in this movie. Like, there's no conflict and i and i'm not the movie and has they go conflict. back too why would they go back so, yeah but, but like, it works out like they're like they're somewhere in this movie and like maybe i have to read the book and i kind of want to read the book there is some lore that is unexplained in the movie it's like they just got like the spark notes version of the movie and they adapted it or of the novel and they adapted it from there because it's like why is all this happening why is this what it is? Why? Why do they kill the people to keep research? Like you have to infer a lot. Are they like using them for energy or food right. or, or what? I like don't... in the in the beginning, there's like a you know like a text scroll or whatever, and it says like you know all the humans are like subplanted with this like microchip thing, and which might be the gem, but yeah. it's like like you have like robot society overlords. Like he gets all of his instructions from a computer. Like is this and like then a the computer thing? crashes when it, it's just like is this like a 2001 continuum right. or something? Yes. So it's like what is actually going on? Like what happened outside the dome? How many people are outside the dome? Um in 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 that review it said subterranean. It's like it's not subterranean. They're above the ground. I mean, yeah, I don't know. They go through tunnels and they dig in that, <laughs> that the water too. It might be subterranean, but you never really notice it. Yeah. But he's like, they don't know what cats are. Don't know what cats right. are. He's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has Never like 40 seen different a cats. cat. And those cats are so like tranquilized because they're like, oh, fighting. Yeah. Like one of the cats gets like fought in, like pushed into. Yeah, on the two yeah. guys. Yeah, they're like like throwing each other over balconies and the cats are just like. And got a real kind of brutal death of a guy with a flag. He gets beaten with the American flag. Like Mars <laughs> Attacks. <laughs> No, not like Mars Attack. That's how uh, Jack Nicholson bites it. Yeah, yeah. Um, One of the Jack Nicholson characters in oh, it. Oh, in in the the first runner they shoot with the gun he in falls. the beginning, and he like um, he decomposes. Yeah, he turns yeah. straight um, hammer or dragon yeah, melting. Exactly. Um, no, I mean this this is a fantastic movie, but it's not for everybody. It's, it's not really for everybody. goofy and weird. Such a cult, it's a cult movie. Dead. Through it's definitely through. a cult movie. It's um. I, I don't know. Like, my rating is probably only like a 7 out of 10. No, wait. I don't do 10s. I do 5s. So it's like a 3.5. I give it 7.5 out of 10. I yeah. give 7.5. Like, I enjoyed it. I would watch it with somebody else just to watch their face when they're like. The, I would just lie to them and tell them it's a fantastic movie. And then when they saw the robot, they'd be like. Oh, yeah. I, I would like, 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 no, this is. um. This is a classic. This, this is, is a like, giver. <laughs> this is just like yeah. this is comparable to 2001 I tell them that I'm like, <laughs> people think this is as good as 2001 they're like oh really Whoa. they're watching it they're like wow <laughs> wow <laughs> and then at the end they, when they get to the robot they're like <laughs> okay I gotta go I gotta go pick up my oh, kid my mom just died <laughs> I just got a phone call attack I gotta go all right. right, but uh, seven and a half. I'm, I'm good next week is um, my pick it's Repulsion by Roman Polanski don't shoot me I haven't seen it I know how come, okay, so I wanted to put Polanski's Macbeth on here, but you wouldn't let me. It has to be genre horror or sci-fi. And you're like, that's horror, it's not. Macbeth is horror, it has witches, murder, 
Um, I didn't want you to. I tried to convince you to put Rosemary's Baby because you'd never seen Rosemary's Baby, and we could have watched all three apartment Scotsman. Um, Scotsmen are not whore. Scotsmen are whore. <laughs> You've seen Groundskeeper Willie. Right. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if um, what's that movie called with the paddle boat? What are you talking about? You no, know, like the one you were talking about all week. Like, oh, this is horrible. This is not horrible. This is... Oh, paddle boat? Yeah. Cape Fear? Cape Fear. They're not on a paddle boat. I was about to call it Boat River. Boat River? Yeah. <laughs> river boat. Okay. This is over. We're done. We're watching Macbeth next. We're not. Okay. And I didn't want you to watch because it's like four hours long. And I was just like, I ain't squeezed another four. And we already got M and uh, the... Uh, what the hell was that? I can never remember that Japanese movie's name. Oh, um, that anthology one? Yeah. I can't it remember. starts with a K. Kaidon. Um, so, yep, we're out of here. Bye. Just imagine a world where you will hold your entire future in the palm of your hand, when a tiny glowing crystal will guide you through an existence in which each day is more wonderful than the last, where it will be possible for you to obtain the fulfillment of every fantasy. The satisfaction of every vanity, the absolute attainment of every wish. Metro Goldwyn Mayer presents the Saul David production of Logan's Run. A fantastic journey through a world beyond imagination. Welcome to the 23rd century. The perfect world of total pleasure. Imagine a world in which you need never be alone. You touch a switch, turn a dial, and the perfect lover steps into your arms. Every pleasure is yours to experience. Runner! There's just one catch. When the tiny crystal in the palm of your hand flashes its final message, your time is up. Michael York is Logan. Run, Logan! Policeman in a perfect world. No! Trained to track down runners. Run, Logan! Until he is forced to run himself. Run, He's a runner! Logan! I'm your friend, I understand. We all go crazy once in a while. But she's a runner, and it's over. Over, well, 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 am I not? <laughs> Box, an incredible being, more than human, more than machine, diabolical guardian of the gateway to freedom, or Logan and the woman who loves him. like that before. That must be the look of... of being old. MGM takes you into a new age of adventure in the first motion picture of the 23rd century. Logan's Run. It begins where imagination ends. Okay, let's get into these questions. Jonathan Wilhelm, what is your favorite weirdest movie title? This can be right off the top of my head. Um, 
One that always stuck in my head, I don't know if I love it, and I haven't watched it, but The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Became Mixed Up and Stopped Living or something like that. That title has always stuck with me as being batshit crazy and funny. Um, there's another one by my, my beautiful burnt brother and his smashed head. Uh, just crazy titles like that. Um, there's so many weird titles out there that just stay with you. You're like, who the hell thought of this? But um, those are two. Um, I'm trying to look around to see if anything catches my eye that's just so bizarre that you got to love it. Um, those are a couple off the top of my head that I've always been memorable. Skip Barber, I have a question for your show when you have time. Do you ever watch rewatch movies you act in several years later to see your perspective has changed or to prepare you for new roles? Um, usually I watch the movie I'm in the one time. And then I may watch it again, and um, the second time I really can kind of see if it's a decent movie or not. The first time I'm like, I don't know, just, you're just watching yourself like, ah, you did terrible there, you did something stupid there. But um, usually the second time, I can kind of focus more on the movie. I really don't rewatch many movies I've been in, to be honest. I don't even rewatch movies I've made. Um, I've seen them, you know, when you're editing them, you know, you've seen it a thousand times. But um, I, I occasionally do, I, I really don't, actually. I, I watch them when they first come out a couple times, you know to get how I feel about them, but I haven't rewatched one in a really long time. Um, Nick Moore, can you name a film or more that deals with difficult subject matter of societal issue, a good film that's not an easy watch? I, I, that question, the way it's put, doesn't make much sense to me. Um, but a movie with a difficult subject matter, um, The Treatment, the one that Artsploitation put out with the uh, pedophile killer and everything, that one. Difficult subject matter for sure, but it's really good. Um... Let me think of some other ones. That that one comes to mind first is the treatment. Um, really difficult subject matter, but um, really great film at the same time. Then we have, and you discuss mob mentality and group thinking. How would you start a cult movement with yourself as the leader? Well, you got to go through religion. If you watch any of that, um, from Mormonism um, to Scientology, um, that's how you kind of do it to mm, Shirikyo. These basically have to do some sort of, you know, niche religion. And I don't want to say Mormonism is exactly a cult. You guys understand, though. But, you know, I would say Scientology and um, Shirikyo are, you know, um, those kind of places, of course. Um, the second, you know, start to manipulate people and do things that they don't want to do and, you know, give money up that they shouldn't be giving up, stuff like that. Um, can a film, you got to go through religion. I would definitely do something like that. Or make yourself a martyr, you know. Put yourself in that seat. You know how these people will be like, I've been victimized like by some the media or something. And then they'll like, put up a GoFundMe and they get millions of dollars. That would be a good way to start your cult. Can a film that doesn't seem to work improve by a re-edit or adding more scenes? Or is it a bad movie, just a bad no matter what? For example, the big screen version of Fraser C. Heston's Needsful Things doesn't quite gel, but the longer TV edit works for me. I think you could fix movies. I really do. Um, some things need to be cut out, too. Uh... That just don't work. I've seen movies where, like, if, if there's just more to it or there's just less to it, like, um, yeah, you can definitely fix a movie in editing. No doubt. No doubt. Um, and then we have some answers. Basically, I asked what people's favorite Tempe release was. Jonathan Wilhelm, solid video, good sir. Favorite Tempe release is definitely The Dead Next Door. Robot Ninja is a close second. Uh, Ken Meehan, The Townies. Um, Anthony Pandilla, oh, there's so many. Nathan Rumler, Bloodletting. Uh, Brawlito, Romero, that John Russo vampire movie. I forget the title. It'll come to me in five minutes. Now, are you thinking of Heartstopper? Is that one of John Russo? I think Tempe might have had something to do with that at one point. Um, Jake Benson, Humanoids from Atlantis. 
lies. Um, I used to make Jake watch the Tempe movies when we were kids. He was my cousin. He didn't really like low-budget movies, so I made him watch Humanoids from Atlantis or Galaxy of the Dinosaurs, and he was just like, really? Um, Gary Miller, Skinned Alive, Michael Madsen, or Madsen, Madsen, Winter Beast, and I'm not seeing it if it's had a proper release. And I mentioned, I, I know um, it had, um, but he mentions that um, there are a couple different releases. One is double feature with Nudist Colony of the Dead. Given the current prices of the VHS, I may part with mine. Jonathan Knight, Skinned Alive, Marcus Cook, Bloodletting, um, Jordan Bibby, Polymorph, Tim Mellican, Dead Next Door, Bobby Jose, The Dead Next Door, which was already said, but stuck on Sandman and Ozone. Plus, San Ozone got a Blu-ray release, too. Yep, I bought that. And uh, he's like, awesome, I'm glad I got a high-def release. I have the DVD, but need to say a blue copy. And then we have some information, some you know stuff that people mentioned that I thought was worth mentioning. Ilk Vomit, I can rest easy now to know that Mr. Parker in 2020 finally owns a movie starring Indonesian superstar Billy Chung, one of the most underrated of all old-school kung fu stars. His absolute essentials from the genre, in my opinion, Superpower and Crystal Fist and Sun Dragon. What the flick? I've seen The Beast Must Die on TCM line 25 years ago and loved the F out of it. But I bought the Dark Sky DVD a few years back and couldn't get into it. Great video as always. Uh, Tristan Watson watched Pitch Black a week ago. It is a film that gets better and better with time. As you say, there are some dated elements, but the atmosphere and characters on story is so strong. Zach Nolan, other people had Return to Oz in their top 10, so it's okay to consider Kate Fear on your list of horror. I should have been more specific. Yeah, I would agree Kate Fear is okay to consider it, but um, I didn't have Return to Oz in my top 10 in 85, but I wouldn't have a problem with somebody including it. Um, Nick Mua, glad to see you're putting Belgium and Holland. It's co-production in the spotlight again with we european movies need some love on the global market still not a huge fan of this film or the book it's based on young peeps being nasty and devoid of empathy has been done before clockwork orange also the close-up penetration shots done with adult actor stand-ins i didn't see the need for that it came across as shocking just to be shocking however do the agree that simon is the most likable of the bunch this is no small part because of the actor portraying him uh Tejman go go of arts i think that they went with most likable to least likable in the movie to be honest and then we have if you he keeps going on if you'd like to see him give a truly fascinating performance check tench directed by patrice toy little black spiders this movie is about a 20 something man john uh, jonathan who has pedophile leanings we see him struggle with said learn leaning self-hatred self-disgust and a whole spectrum of emotions it's not an easy watch to say the least because of the subject matter but more than worth your time Okay, and since we had the Fulci Fest this week with uh, six Fulci-oriented titles, I want to know what your favorite Lucio Fulci film is. What's your favorite Fulci film? Um, yeah, so um, we're going to hop into the update. Okay, let's start this off with Terrified. I love this one. It came out a couple years ago. This and Satan's Slave I thought were top-notch. Glad to see they both got a Blu-ray release. Super creepy. And you know what? I'm not a huge ghost story fan, but I think like the foreign ghost stories really... Uh, this is kind of not exactly ghost story, but they really, uh, you know, come together for me. Then we have Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man by Ruggiero Diodato with Mark Porrell and Ray Lovelock. Mark Porrell is in um, The Psychic and Don't Torture a Duckling. And Ray Lovelock is in Let Sleeping Corpses Lie. I have seen this a long time ago. I haven't seen it in a while. Um, like this one. Good stuff. Good Polizia Tetsi. You know, um, I know that had to release 88 films. Um, then we have the two new Vestrons. These were great, greatly priced, uh, way cheaper than usual. We got David Cronenberg's The Shivers. Um, love Cronenberg. This is one I, I really like this one. It's been a while since I watched it, but yeah, can't wait to check it out. Got some features on there. Yeah, cool stuff. I also have the Arrow import, but had to pick that one up. And then we have Little Monsters, which I'm super excited about. I this is one of my favorite kids movies. Um, 
I love this movie to death. Fred Savage, Howie Mandel. They cause a lot of trouble, but you'll have all the fun. Yeah. I love the sound of breaking glass. I've seen this movie a hundred freaking times. Snick, man. Snick is awesome. Rick Dukeman is fantastic in this movie. But anyways, Howie Mandel, Savage Brothers, Daniel Stern. I, I cry when Daniel Stern's like looking for the clicker. He's just, everything's going wrong with the house. So good. Um, then we have Johnny Cool with Henry Silva, Elizabeth Montgomery. Um, not seen this one. Um, Henry Silva's great. This one also has Telly Savalas. That's another reason I had to grab it. So is that Telly Savalas with hair? Wow, I don't think I've ever seen him with hair. He's usually shaved bald. Thought he was in this one. Yeah, he is. Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, this one looks cool, man. I've never I've never seen this one, so Johnny Cool. And then last we have The Fury of the Wolfman with Paul Nashi. Yeah, I'm gonna buy all any any Spanish or Italian horror movie on Blu-ray, especially a Nashi one. Um I've only seen a handful, but I'm definitely collecting his films. Um very interesting guy. And uh yeah, can't wait to check out this one as well. But I guess we're gonna go back to the video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Mm.